Well, that's going to kind of make your day, doesn't it? Makes your day. 1 Corinthians 13 fits right in with Thanksgiving. So at first I thought, well, I'll do a Thanksgiving message. And I, and I, I went back through this text and I thought, this is so incredible. It is so helpful and encouraging. The topic or the subject uh, is love. And it, it flows in with the overall theme of this letter. In fact, Craig was just asking me, are you going to be done with 1 Corinthians in 2024 or 2025? <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, yes, yes. Well, you know, it, um, I just kind of get through this. But, you know, when it's working through you, you're going through it. It's going through you. And, and there are times you got to stop and pause and just let God do his settling work. And uh, I'd be okay if the Lord returns before we're done and uh, would glory in that. But the overall theme of the letter is walk in wisdom, which is probably nothing more applicable and appropriate for our day than to learn to walk in wisdom. And a sub-point of this is what we call the greatest thing in the world is love. And this is part of walking in that wisdom. So I want to begin with a fairly sobering, serious question. What would you think of the man who said, the reason I just killed my wife is because I loved her too much? Or the woman that says, I killed my husband because I loved him. Or the mother that took the lives of her children because she loved them so much and wanted to protect them. Or a man that took the life of his wife and his young son because he loved them. Most crimes of passion end up being described this way. In fact, most men that commit some crime of passion against a wife, former wife, lover, will give this as their reason. I, it's because I loved her, or I loved her too much. So I, I think, is it possible to love someone too much? I remember, and I, and I went back to find the quote that just startled me, O.J. Simpson on being questioned about the murder of his wife, which if you remember back in the mid-90s, 95 million people are watching this uh, white Ford Bronco going through L.A. And um, he was acquitted legally, but then civilly he was held accountable for the deaths of um, his former wife and her friend. But here's what O.J. Simpson said. He said, let's say I committed this crime. Even if I did, it would have been because I loved her very much, right? This is what he, he said when he's being interviewed. Let's say I did do that. It would have been because I loved her very much. Something has really been distorted. When you hear, hear these things, you think, how could that be? And yet, we have this innate ability to distort truth and to craft it around what we 
what we feel will protect ourselves. We say, I love you, but we're not patient. We say, I love you, but we're not kind. And that's just the first two. We're picking up speed, by the way, today. I'm going to cover two, two in one Sunday so, well, as, we, as we get through this. What we're talking about in 1 Corinthians 13 is a, a different kind of love than what the world knows and what the world understands, agape love. It is the unconditional, sacrificial, and initiated love that is not dependent on anything on the outside. And it is the greatest thing in the world. It is more important than anything else. And this is what we've seen in the first three verses. There is nothing so important as this. In fact, I think in, in your personal life, in your family, and as, as a church, I think how do you measure if a church is, is doing well if it has this? I mean, you can have the greatest band in the world and the greatest speakers in the world and the greatest programs in the world and the most magnificent building in the world. And if you don't have this, you're missing the most central part of an authentic Christianity. But we get caught up in other things, personally and collectively. So in the context of this, of course, it's written almost 2,000 years ago, the principles are, are right where we are today. So uh, you, you can see how that, it's timeless. God's word is timeless. It's more up to date than this morning's paper. But back in this day, they had a lot of internal problems. They did not have a biblical love in their church. Their culture was filled with, with this type of thing, but also it had, it had come in to the church. And they were having conflict. You know, there's nothing that will take the, the joy and the peace out of your home more quickly than having conflict or in society. And so this is why the Apostle Paul is, is now turning. I want to talk about something that you need more than anything else, and it is love. So chapter 13, this is where we are. And if you've been following along, I've broken it up into three parts. Um, love declared as the greatest thing in the world. That, those are the first three verses. We talked about that. We're in the middle part of verse, verses 4 to 8 which I've titled, Love Described. It's, it's, um, it's, this is what it looks like. It's patient, it's kind, and, and so forth. And then finally, we'll come to Love Developed. How do we go from not having this agape love to constantly developing that in, in my personal life, in my marriage, with my kids, in our church family? So that's a little bit of an idea of how we're looking at that love declared, love described, love developed. So we're in the description of love. Who remembers the first two descriptions? I already gave them to you, so said, don't do that to us. <laughs> you get tired of people asking you questions all the time. It'll just put you on the spot. Love is patient and kind. And we spent a whole sermon on each of those. Patient Patience 
is in the sense long-suffering, easy to approach, not reactive, always having time and availability. That's how we describe patience. It's the way God is, the way Jesus is. Kindness is, is not so much with hold, holding back from blowing up on something, but it is, is, it is taking action and giving and, and doing something for someone else. What you're doing for others, giving and taking action to help someone without criticism and without judgment. It is showing kindness, something we go do. Now, this morning we're going to, I know there are three more in verse four, so we're just, in, we're still in verse four, and there are five of these. So I, uh, patience and kindness, and then there are three more, but I've taken those three and made them into two, and let me explain that. The next one is uh, envy, and then it says not boastful or proud. Uh, or arrogant. So I've, I've listed these as the four in, in verse four, which I think are pillars to the character part of what, what love, genuine love looks like. It's patient, it's kind, and then I've said it's content. It's content. And then finally, it's humble. It has humility. So content, there really, there's really uh, one word, it, do, it does not envy, or some translations translate, it is not jealous. You look back to these crimes of passion that I talked about earlier, these crimes of passion. Love, genuine, authentic love, is not jealous. It is not envious. And so, love is content, and then humble. And he uses two different words. Um, it's not boastful, and it is not arrogant. So, in this verse, patient, kind, content, and humble. And these are not things that, that you go do. See, here's, here's the thing is, it almost sounds like, okay, everybody go out and do that this week. Everybody be patient. <laughs> everybody be kind. And everybody be content. And everybody be humble. Okay, I'm gonna be really humble, I'm gonna be really humble. This is probably one of those important parts that you understand. These are not things you go do. It's not a list, a checklist. We are not given a checklist Christianity. These are the results of a vital, intimate relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is what happens when you come to know God personally, when you examine the life of His Son, and when you allow the Holy Spirit to transform your life through His Word. So, the teachings of God, the example of Christ, the working of the Spirit in your life, and your response to affirm and to obey what He's teaching you. That's the focus. The focus is not doing patience. It is when you're abiding with God in a relationship, that will be the result. Now, if you don't get that, you don't get anything. Otherwise, you have a performance-based Christianity rather than a spirit-filled Christianity. It's his working in our hearts and lives. And it all comes through 
relationship. If I gave you the list of pay, be patient, be kind, and you're all going to go check that off, we're talking about religion. But this isn't what this book's about. It's about relationship. So we've discussed patience and kindness, and we're going to go on to contentment and humility today. So contentment. Love is with contentment. What he says here is it does not envy and it is not jealous. So what, what do these words mean? What is it describing here, a lack of contentment? Would be someone who would be wanting what they don't have. I want what I don't have. And it creates in me a dissatisfaction. Now, all of us get there, don't we? We see things we want and we don't have, we become dissatisfied. And we can become envious and become jealous. Now, I could share a bunch of illustrations, but you can probably look in your own heart and see tons of them. I do in my own life. Now, it's not wrong to desire good things. Desire to grow. Desire to have a healthy marriage. Desire for your kids to grow up and love the Lord. So, and, and you say, I don't have that yet, but I desire those things. That's not wrong. If these are things God's instructed, you should want and have. But when it comes to, you know, <clears throat> I just bought a new house. I, I didn't, but let's say I just bought a new house. Then I notice all the other new houses that are better. How many times have you bought a new car and you, you notice all the other cars that are a little bit better? It's the way we are. We have this, this propensity toward a dissatisfaction and unhappiness as we look around. And we lose our, what happens is when we don't have contentment, we, we've lost our joy and we've lost our peace. Or just, it, it puts you at an angst. How does this happen? How, how, how do we get from being content to being discontent? And, I, and I've listed four ways that I know that it works in my life. One is I've, I've lost pers my perspective of God. His character, his attributes, his life, and his son Jesus, the words that he gives to me, and what is really eternal. I've, I've lost my, my view of God. You know how many times I've said this to you, that your view of God is the most important thing about you? Um, it, it shapes everything else that you do. And so when I don't have a right God perspective, then I start falling into this trap. Secondly, it's when I'm not thankful. It's not thankful. I'm not thankful for what I have. Every person here today should be filled with thankfulness. Would you agree? And often we're not. We get filled with complaint. We get filled with criticism. We get filled with, I wish things were different. And if you'll notice, in, in, uh, as you read reading through the New Testament, in the book of Romans, it talks, chapter 1, it talks about how mankind does this downward, downward spiral. And it starts with, they did, they did not acknowledge God 
and they were not thankful. Those, those are the first two steps. <clears throat> this is how we get to a critical spirit, negativity, dissatisfaction, unhappiness. And, and you know what? Our circumstances could be 10 times better than most of the world, and yet we still are not content. So not having a right view of God, not being thankful, number three, not seeing what is real. You know, you go out, buy some new shoes. You know, how many of you like that shoe? My mother-in-law got me. In fact, my mother-in-law is kind of funny. She'll find a good deal like these, and, she, and she'll buy like five pair for everybody. <clears throat> so I, I think this is my, my fifth pair of those shoes. But what happens to shoes over time? They get old. Sometimes they stink, <laughs> um, and 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 it, it you know because it's temporal. It's temporal. And how many times are we so excited to to buy something online or to pick it up and, and or can't wait to go to the store and get it? It's finally come in. You know whether it's a new phone or a new clothing or a new car. Uh, every single thing is stuff that gets old and now you're and we've done this this last week is you're thinking what are we going to do with this we've had these conversations do you throw it out oh no it's so it's got sentimental value <laughs> and that's where you get all your stuff and now you're trying to give it away try to sell it first right no one else wants it <laughs> Try to give it all to your friends and relatives, and finally you're hauling it off. And I think this, we fail to see that, that the things that are of value are timeless. Like people. Relationships with God. And the rest of it is just fleeting. over time and finally what i think makes us discontent is when we compare ourselves to others we can do that with friends we can do that with people we don't know you know you get a new truck you see every other truck on the road <laughs> you uh you get online and and today i think every commercial every commercial that is put out is designed to make you dissatisfied with what you have and want to buy what they have, right? I mean, it's just... So our culture is wired that way. And so I'm constantly, in fact, I was reading a, a book on um, uh, psychology and I talked about how that, that like within the process of a couple seconds, we are constantly assessing where we fit in. And I thought, that's really an interesting concept. You know, where, where, do, where do I fit into this group? How do I rank in, in value and order? We're just constant. It's like this constant, um, uh, like a beacon going around. You know, where do I fit in? How am I valued? And you're comparing, you're comparing. And you're establishing your, your worth and your peace based upon that. And it's very destructive. 
So when he says not envious or jealous means we don't, we don't have to have, we're not looking to fill something outside. I think probably the picture of contentment that I saw this last week, we've got this, we've got our youngest granddaughter, her name is Sylvie. And um, she's, she just turned one the other day. And so when we're, Diane and I are out there watching the kids, we've got a seven-year-old, a four-year-old boy, and a one-year-old. You can imagine which one gave us the most challenges is the one in the middle. <laughs> the four, four-year-old boy is keeping up the energy level. But oh, we just had, we had a great time, but we had you know, four or five days that we're, we're watching the kids. It's a job for young people. Um, so Diane says to me, you know, she, you know, Diane's doing most of the work, as you all can imagine. I don't need to admit that. You all know that that's going to happen. But she says, can you go get Sylvie up? She just woke up and give her her bottle. Oh, sure. And I've done, I have changed diapers, by the way. So, you know, uh, still, still do that. But I said, sure, I'll go get her. And so I, I went in there and picked her up, put her down on my arm, and, and I gave her the bottle. She just closes her eyes. And I thought, you know, and I, I was studying through this patch, I think that is like the picture of contentment. I mean, it's like, she is so happy, so satisfied, so at peace. Um, and I just look at that. And, and it, it made me think of how God really wants us to find that same contentment in him. He wants us to find it. And, and what he's saying is, you can't find it any other place. That's what we need to realize. You cannot find it any other place. So if we were to ask, what does it take to be content? If I were to ask you today, okay, name me five things that would really help make you content. <laughs> oh, I could come up with a lot of things. I mean, um, pay off my house, you know, you, you just list a whole bunch of stuff, okay? But again, stuff. So what would make me content? Are rich people more content? Are famous people more content? Are successful people more content? Are super good looking people more content? Are super fit people more content? No, and the answer to all that, no, 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 no. However, I could use a little more money, <laughs> have a little more success, um, have a little better health, whatever. It's the way we are wired. I shared some time ago a story, and I'm not, I'm not gonna share the whole thing today, on John Payton. He was a missionary to the New Hebrides, Vanuatu, which is east of Australia. <clears throat> Cannibal-infested islands, mid-1800s, and he goes there as a missionary. Um, he loses his wife, he loses his son, he loses all of his books and everything he had done for the first couple years he had been there. And the cannibals are chasing him across the island and he gets away from them and gets up into a tree and all he has left are the clothes on his back. He's lost everything. He's lost everything. And I, I remember, if you read the book, it's just an incredible book. But he says, he, he said, I sat there 
I sat there with nothing. And I said, I realized that all I had left was Jesus. And I came to know that he was enough. Whew. Blaise Pascal, another man of centuries gone by, a theologian, philosopher, said, in every one of us, there is a God-shaped vacuum that only God can fill. There is a God-shaped vacuum in you that only God can fill. No amount of money or fame or riches or accomplishments will ever bring that contentment. Jeremiah Burroughs wrote this in 1651. You can tell the stuff I read, usually the, the, stuff, the stuff that I like to read has lasted a few hundred years and that's why it's, it's still good. <laughs> Jeremiah Burroughs defined this, uh, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights and God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Wow. You know, when I read through this, I've read it earlier in my life, just this last year, it really convicted me. Because when, when Burroughs talks about it's a resignation. I find it not easy, but easier to say, well, I trust God, he's sovereign, he, he's God, he knows what he's doing, so I accept it. It's an acceptance. I resign myself to the will of God. <clears throat> but when he says this, that it delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition, so what, what Burroughs is saying is real true contentment not just accepts what's happened, it delights in it. Not in spite of it, but it, he delights in it. That's contentment. I thought, I've got work to do in my life. But you see, love cannot function when it is jealous. When it's envious, love cannot function when you want something you don't have. It, it's, it soils you. It destroys you. The only way love can function is when you're content. And the only way you can become content is through Christ. It's the only way possible. Secondly, Love is with humility. He addresses pride with two different words. He's, he, he talks about boasting and arrogance. And the way that I, I there are two different words, and, and he mentions these. One of them is external. In other words, boasting is talking. <laughs> and arrogance is a state of mind. So I, I just put, you know, I, I kind of, do things parallel, so talking and thinking. How, does, how is pride primarily manifested 
in your life. One, by your talking, and two, by your thinking. If you go back on our website, Craig was preaching through James this last year, and he, he hit on this incredibly good message on the tongue. But talking, two manifestations of pride, talking and thinking. You're talking or you're boasting, talking about yourself. For many of us, it's an addiction, talking about what we did or what we do. If someone, if someone has another story, it's just a cue for us to tell our story. And we talk about ourselves, or we talk negatively about others. That's another form of pride. The way I can get myself feeling better about myself is putting people down. That's how the tongue, the tongue is destructive in that way. Or just plain talking too much. In Proverbs, it says, in the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. In other words, sin is shortly behind. When you talk a lot, you're going to be in trouble. And so the main way, James talks about this in chapter 3, is that in many ways we offend. But with the tongue, we all offend. But then in our thinking, our sense of arrogance, some translations will say this, arrogance or being puffed up. It's like you're just inflated. <clears throat> it's like those little birds, you know, that puff out their chest. It's kind of like, it's almost comical when you watch it. It's, it's uh, uh, or like a bullfrog, just puffed up, bunch of air. And you are inflated in your view of yourself. How do I, how do I get a distorted view of myself? which I think most of us will struggle with. The world at large really struggles with having an improper view of themselves. I'd say thinking about yourself too much or not enough. <laughs> when I think too much of myself, I'm so great, um, or I, I have a high view of myself, but thinking too little would underestimate the value that God places on you. Pride, overt pride, can be saying, you know, I'm the best at this, or I did this, or I did this, or another backdoor pride would be saying, I'm just a good-for-nothing, worthless, anybody going to correct me? Um, <laughs> pride has so many ways to get at you. But I think also thinking too little of ourselves to wreck that you, listen, every single one of you were made in the image of of God. That gives you value. You have been loved by God. That gives you value. Jesus died on the cross for you. That gives you value. He is constantly interceding for you before the Father. That gives you value. He is preparing a home in heaven for you now. That gives you value. So, the opposite of pride is humility. You can still have confidence and have humility. Humility doesn't mean I walk around like this. I walk around with thanksgiving and praise and gratitude and confidence. You say, I know where I'm going to go when I die. Well, you think that's because you've been so good? No. 
Do you think that's because you're so smart? No. I know where I'm going to go when I die. Confidence. Because God promised me. So humility does not mean a lack of confidence, assurance, boldness, but it has it properly placed. And I think this, that I, I constantly have this tendency to go make things happen for God. I don't know if you do that or not. Rather than pray about it, I'm just going to go fix it. And it, it's a form of pride. Just forgetting, that I, I can do, I got this. It's like I say about people when they become a Christian. It's, a, it's like saying, oh God, thank you for saving me because I know I couldn't wash away my own sin. I couldn't make myself a home in heaven. So I thank you, Lord, for saving me. But I got it from here. <laughs> you need him every day. I need him every day. And that is a humility. Humility just it, it, it dovetails with dependence in a relationship. And humility is indispensable with love. You know, if, I, if I'm speaking to you and I am proud and I am arrogant and I'm always talking about myself, I'm always thinking about myself, I know everything about everything and I'm gonna get it done, what kind of a relationship do you think we're gonna have? perfect picture of what I'm talking about is Jesus who is the most powerful man in the world who humbled himself to be born on this earth to live in the city of Nazareth to live in humble existence was rejected beaten and crucified he not did not lose his power he did not lose his confidence he did not lose his effect but he humbled himself and I believe this, that not just with contentment, but humility opens the door for us to be able to love this way. So is it possible to love someone too much? I don't think so. But we can love like God loved us. As the Father has loved us. We love one another. Jesus said, continue in my love. So Jesus is saying, this is the way I've loved you. I've given you an example of it, and I'm giving you by my spirit the ability to do that. A, a God of love, a Christ who makes it possible, a spirit, a Holy Spirit who lives in the life of every believer gives you the daily ability to do this. And that's why we call this the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. So love like this. Agape. Agape. Patient. Kind. Content. Humble. This is what we look like. These are not things we go out and do. These are not things we list on our refrigerator <laughs> and check off. 
But as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old things are passed away and everything is becoming new. So what we're saying is taught by God's word. It has been perfectly demonstrated by Christ, hasn't it? Yes. I mean, he's, he's just, he's set the path for us. And he's given us his spirit to give us the ability, the supernatural ability to live a life like this. Not perfectly, because we're still in this old flesh, but that, that is such an encouragement. So as we walk away this morning, I want us to think of this. It's all relationship. It all comes back to relationship. When I talk about the relationship with Diane, it's not just that we have a contract that got signed on the 30th of May 40 years ago. That's, that's when you say relationship, well, you're married. No, when I'm talking about relationship with my wife, I'm talking about every day, every day relationship. And that's what, that's what your relationship, there's a contract when you receive Christ as Savior, you're His. You're a child of God. You have a home in heaven. You're part of His family. That's great. That's just a start. He wants relationship. And the fruit of that relationship is going to be love. So, we have been loved like this, haven't we? We have been loved like this. So love like this. Love like this. Father, I pray that we as individuals and together as a church would radiate the love of God that has been expressed to us in every relationship that we have, our marriages, or family, with one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We haven't given Matt a hand in a while. Let's give him a